and we're enjoying the uh, the Mexican uh, food here and all the seeing friends. Uh, we've just been one day after another of of excitement and, and uh, family time and time with friends. So thank you. Well, today I want to address uh, what do we do in times of trouble? Where do we go in times of trouble? What happens to our faith when we face difficulties? What happens to our vision of God when things don't go our way? There was a fascinating woman by the name of Lillian Trasher. Yes, that's her last name, Trasher. She was an American missionary in Egypt in the 1900s, and she founded the first orphanage in Egypt. Started off as just a, a group of abandoned children that she took under her wing. But over the course of the rest of her life, it grew to be 1,200 children living with her and widows. She would often go to bed at night not knowing how she would feed her troops, these children and these widows. And so she would pray. One especially trying time for her came during World War II. There were shortages across the country, and despite all her efforts, she had been unable to secure supplies. The cupboards were bare, and there was no human solution. So Lillian called for 24 hours of prayer and fasting. She and the children prayed into the night. So Lillian prayed. In time of difficulty, what did she do? She prayed. What happened to her vision of God? It remained high and elevated. And she found help. I will tell you how the Lord answered that prayer at the end of the sermon. But our text today is Psalm 34. And I'm just going to go through that with you as quickly as I can. And uh, we're going to just go through that together. Psalm 34. The, the title, I'm going to give you the sections here. The title teaches us to understand that difficult times will come for believers. Difficult times will come. Verses 1 to 3 is worship the Lord in times of difficulty. So verses 1 to 3, worship the Lord in times of difficulty. Verses 4 to 10 is seek the Lord in times of difficulty. That's seek the Lord in times of difficulty. Verses 11 to 14, know that the fear of the Lord will guide you through any trial and temptation. Know that the fear of the Lord will guide you through times of difficulty, verses 11 to 14. Verses 15 to 18 is remember that the Lord sees and hears you, us, as we pass through times of difficulty. He hears and he sees us. And finally, verses 19 to 22, remember that the Lord is our sure refuge who promise us, promises us heaven. No matter what we go through here, we will be with him one day. The big idea of Psalm 34 is this. Because the Lord hears our cries, let us cry out to him in times of trouble. Because the Lord hears our cries, let us cry out to him in times of trouble. So, the first section here, understand that difficult times will come. Maybe our view of the Christian life is that now I'm a Christian, it's going to be easy. It's not going to be tough. Difficult things are not going to happen. Cancer's not going to happen. Miscarriages aren't going to happen. My children aren't going to wander away from the Lord. University's going to be easy. My job is going to be smooth. But that is not the case as a child of God. And that is what we see in this title a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. The full details of the background of this psalm is in 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15. But briefly put, there is a Philistine king that sees David and he's like, this guy, I probably have to kill this guy because he is a powerful enemy 
So what does David do? He pretends he's crazy so that this Philistine king will no longer pay attention to him. But David, So David escapes. He's afraid for his life. He pretends he's crazy. But the cool thing is he doesn't chalk it up to his own ingenuity of being crazy, acting crazy in a time. He sees it as God's hand has delivered him from sure death. A very difficult situation. So this psalm is David looking in the, the rearview mirror and we're in the car with him and he's like looking in the rearview mirror. He goes, I just want to worship the Lord because I've got to tell you about what he did to me in the, for me in the past. So this is a psalm for those who suffer. For those of us who are going through times of trial. I want to ask you this morning, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are you going through right now? Maybe it's singleness. Maybe you just want to get married. Maybe it's you're at a crossroads in your life. You're trying to figure out, should I go into ministry? Should I stay going into a more uh, secular path? What should I? Maybe you're at a crossroads and you're trying to figure out where to go and you need the Lord's help. Maybe, maybe you're a victim of abuse. Maybe something happened when you were younger and you are still struggling with this. Maybe a miscarriage. Maybe, maybe it's infertility. Uh, th- it can be so many things. Maybe it's the marriage is not working well. There's conflict all the time. There's some kind of trial or your children are wandering away from the Lord. There is, it, there is just an endless list of trials that we can face as children of God. But David goes on in verse 1. I will. By the way, the titles are inspired. In French Bibles, uh, verse 1 is the title. In English Bibles, verse 1 is after the title. I don't know why. But in verse 1, so we're into this second section, worship the Lord in times of difficulty. So verses 1 to 3 David makes a personal declaration. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. David is saying that his worship will constantly fill his mouth. The worship of the Lord will be filling his mouth constantly. There's no pause button. There's no mute button. Right With the Zoom church on Zoom, you know, the mute button was always a funny thing. But For David, there was no mute button. There was no pause button for his worship. I will worship the Lord continually, he says. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. You know, when we were children, we were always taught never boast. But it's different when you're praising somebody else's power. And David is saying, I'm going to worship the Lord always. I'm going to boast in the Lord. And let the humble hear and be glad. Now he's turning toward us. Let the humble hear and be glad. Why would he say such a thing? He invites the humble to hear and be glad. Who are the humble? They are people like us who know that they have no strength in themselves. It's not ingenuity. It's not creativity. It's not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's not believing in ourselves. We are humble because we know that if God doesn't show up, we're not going to make it. David is inviting us, as we go through difficult times, to hear and be glad. Why would he say, hear and be glad, to those who are humble going through difficulties? Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What David is saying here is, in the rearview mirror of my life, God delivered me from this Philistine king and he's going to deliver you. He is with you in the trial and through the trial. He's saying, because the Lord hears our cries, let us turn to him in time of trouble. What fills our mouths? If David is saying, "Worship, I will worship the Lord continually, what, what is filling our mouths? What kind of words come out of our mouths at home or at the church. I don't know about you guys, but up in the Great White North, that pandemic just ravaged churches. There was so much 
polar polarization on on these issues are we building unity of the church in how we speak are we building up those around us or are we being toxic and just spewing conflict and and creating division in the church we should be building our brothers and sisters up after such a difficult time David is also saying his greatest purpose in life is to worship God and what is our reason for being what is it is it to worship i hope so the third section here is verses 4 to 10 seek the lord in times of difficulty seek the lord in times of difficulty verse 4 david says i sought the lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears it was a very simple equation for david he had a very scary situation in front of this philistine king and he prays very simple equation difficult situation prayer there's a famous missiologist by well he's not that famous actually um his name is Jonathan Bonk what a great name he is in uh Connecticut and Jonathan Bonk said that many Christians function as atheists when we have a fear or a difficult situation the last thing we do is pray it's our last solution we're going to go to the doctor first we're going to talk to friends we're going to do everything we can maybe even try to fix it on our own those aren't necessarily wrong things but what david does is he goes to the lord first and if we don't as christians our secular culture really does influence us and we our christianity gets mixed in with secularism which is a view secularism is a view that god is no longer relevant to life so we as christians need to swim against the currents of secularism and not be functional atheists in times of difficulty one of my pastors when i was at dallas seminary a man who is with the lord now by the name of tim tinsley said the lord loves to show up when we're at the end of ourselves when we have no more solutions left no more cards to deal and the lord shows up those are great moments aren't they brothers and sisters when we're at the end of ourselves we're on that hospital bed post operation or we are needing to make some big decision and we need to make it quickly and the lord shows up we have nothing we have no idea what to do so we pray and the lord answers so all his he says he delivered me from some of my fears here or all of my fears he says i sought the lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears how many counseling appointments could be just dealt with quickly if fears could be assuaged so many of our issues are caused by fear and anxiety In verse 4 he says he delivered me from all my fears. There is a gr- fear can have a gripping power. It's almost like a straitjacket. Any of you here who have dealt with anxiety or fears, it's it's it almost like you are bound, strapped and gripped by fear. It stops life in the tracks, doesn't it? And David is saying he delivered me from all my fears all those straps break all those belts and buckles just fall to the ground those who look to him verse 5 are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed this who who do we think of when we think of somebody's face being radiant because they've seen the lord we think of moses don't we exodus 34 29 we also think of jesus 
in Luke 9.29 on the Mount of Transfiguration where he actually sees Moses, right? He talks to Moses and Elijah. But we also, this also speaks to us in Christ in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where we are transformed in that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are, we become radiant with joy. I was talking to Dennis uh, before the service and I was like, you, you smile constantly and I want to be more like you. We were traveling back uh, at Christmas time from Colombia and I was going through uh, American border security, which for you is nothing. But as a Canadian, it, uh, they, 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 I, I get nervous, all right? I get, I'm, I'm an anxious guy sometimes. I struggle with fears. And I, get, I literally feel my heart rate go up when I'm about to go through border security, but not because I'm trying to hide anything. But we went through last time, and the, the agent with their bulletproof vest on and everything, he looks at my passport and he goes, you look mean. <laughs> he meant it in a funny way, but I, he said, you look mean. Because so, my resting face as a missionary isn't always a joyful face. But I think we should be smiling more. I think we should be more radiant. Because if we're not joyful, I think we haven't unloaded our burdens before the Lord. It's, it's just like that. And he says here, this poor man cried, verse 6, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So all the fears have been dealt with, all the troubles, he's been delivered from all his troubles. David describes himself here as this poor man. Why would he say such a thing? Wealth, power, he's a king. Why would he say this poor man? Because he knows deep down that he needs the Lord's help. And the Lord always shows up. He always shows up. So he says, this poor man cried. You know what's funny about this psalm? The verb pray is not used once. There is, I sought the Lord, I cried out to the Lord. When we cry out to the Lord, there's not always words in that, is it? Because sometimes in our prayers, we don't even know what to pray. Like in Romans 8, where it says the Spirit intercedes for us when we just have groanings. When we cry out to the Lord, it does not have to be an ornate prayer. It is just crying out to the Lord. When I was 22 years old, I am 48 now, so 50 is close, and I'll try to keep smiling as I think of 50. Um... I was 22, 22 years old, and a girl I was dating was not a believer, and she said to me, Dan, I want to go to church. I wasn't going to church. That wasn't of any interest to me. But I said I, I would like her to be saved. I thought I was walking with the Lord, and I, but I wasn't going to church. I thought the gospel was just forgiveness of sins, not a new life of obedience. So I called up my uncle. Uh, this was at the University of Waterloo. And I said, we want to go to church. I'm in year four of university. We want to go to church. So we go to church on that Sunday. And I still remember the sermon. It was this little Baptist church, King James only. And this man preached with tears. He preached from Matthew 13 about when Christ would come back and he would bring his people to himself and he would separate the fish and all these parables of, of doom for the fake Christians. After that service, they did an altar call. We don't really do those anymore. And I was too nervous to go up because I was like, I've, I've already been baptized when I was 12. What am I... Am I supposed to go up? I wasn't, wasn't clear. And after the service, my girlfriend and I went out to the Golden Griddle. It's like a waffle house. And 
I could not stop weeping tears of joy. My face was radiant. My girlfriend was like, why are you crying? And I said, I don't know why. I am so happy. I am so happy. Those who turn to the Lord are radiant with joy. Everything changed that day for me. He goes on here in verse, well, before I get to that, because the Lord hears our cries, let us turn to him in times of trouble. Let's deal with those fears. Let's trust him to deliver us from times of trouble. He'll take away all the fears and he'll deliver us from our trouble. Verse 7 the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The word encamp here is a military term of protection. And it, whether it be physical warfare or spiritual warfare, there is a, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. David is referring back in that rearview mirror, he's now referring back, not just to Moses, but to the Exodus, where the angel is encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So Israel, is, prior to the Exodus, is in slavery, oppressed in Egypt. And the angel of the Lord encamps and surrounds those who fear him and delivers them What is fear, the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is actually proof that we have a true relationship with the Lord. Let me explain. If we know the living God as all-powerful and holy and all-present, all-knowing, and then we look back at ourselves and we're like, whoa, woe is me. I, I am a sinful, simple man. I'm a poor man. The fear of the Lord is proof that we have a real relationship with the Lord. When the fear of the Lord is not present in someone's life who calls himself a believer, we have to wonder, do they really know God? Do they really know God? So in times of trial, what happens to our vision of God? The fear of the Lord is, it, when it says those who fear him are protected by him. That means they're in a real relationship with him. The fear of the Lord is another way of saying our vision of God does not diminish when we're in trials, but stays elevated. The fear of the Lord is saying, I will not adapt my view of God to something more politically correct or more culturally normative. I will keep my vision of God according to Scripture and I will trust Him and I will fear Him because I know He's almighty and I know He's holy and I know He sees my situation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. This idea of taste and see, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were a people of, they were, they had, they celebrated the Lord. Their, their feasts, whether it's Passover or Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, there were meals. They were meals. And of course, the Lord's Supper the Last Supper is a meal. John Calvin said that the, the, the Lord's Supper is a gift from Christ to help our feeble faith. He gives us the bread and the wine to give us visual reminders of what he's done for us, something we can taste, something we can see. It's, it's pedagogical. It's teaching us. 
to taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his saints. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So once again, we have this phrase, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Lions are the king of the jungle, right? I mean, they're, they're the well, king of the jungle, king of the savanna, wherever. They rule. They are like the most powerful, capable hunters. They even go hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. They lack no good thing. There, it's not that we will have everything, but we will lack no good thing. So because the Lord hears our cries as his people, we should be turning to him in our times of trouble. I want to ask you, I, I, do we know that as the church, the Lord surrounds us and defends us? He encamps around us, around us and delivers us. Our vision of God should not be diminished by times of trouble, neither. We should be fearing the Lord and not trying to reduce our vision of God to something more of what we might see in a Disney movie or something somewhere else. The fourth section is, know that the fear of the Lord will guide you through times of difficulty. This is verses 11 to 14. We may be surprised that David tells us not only does the Lord camp around us, but that the fear of the Lord leads to the best life now. The fear of the Lord leads to the best life now. Let me explain. So in verse 11, King David is speaking to the covenant people of God, Israel. Come, O children, listen. Listen to me. Listen. Open your ears. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who among you desires life and loves many days that they may see good? Here, it's basically who among us desires a long and happy life? Of course we all do. We all desire a long and happy life. David says that the fear of the Lord is the key to a happy life. But we may ask, how can I show the fear of the Lord in my day-to-day life? And there's basically two things he says here. Talk and walk. How we talk, how we speak. What fills our mouths? He says here in verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So how do, we, how do we talk? We go back to that first verse, right? I, that first section. The, the worship of the Lord will constantly be filling my mouth. How do we speak? Once again, how we speak matters to the Lord. In fact, the fear of the Lord will direct our speech. How we speak to others. We won't, be, uh, we, we won't have tongues that speak evil unkindness, uh, evil words. You know, fascinatingly, in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, as typical for Paul, he will start with sexual sins, as he should. But I would say a good 60% of the works of the flesh are relational. They are words, dissension, rivalry, jealousy, all sorts of word sins. Right? So the fear of the Lord will give us the happy life now by helping us talk properly. It will also help us in our walk, uh, the, how we, uh, the decisions we make. So it says here in verse 14, turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. As we think about 
society. There was uh, a famous uh, a philosopher in Montreal by the name of Charles Taylor. Uh, he might still be living, uh, but he has written on how secular society is not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. When we take away the bedrock of morality, how, how, how can society be sustained? How can crime be kept halted? How can anarchy not rise up? What I propose, well, what I think I see here in our passage today is the key to not only the happy life of each individual here today, but the flourishing of society. And it is, it is the fear of the Lord that keeps our, our talk from evil and being liars. And it turns our steps. We, but the fear of the Lord has us turn away from evil. Imagine if we could fix the speech and the actions of our society. I mean, that's, that's where... Are, do problems arise anywhere else? I think that, that's kind of the, the genesis point of almost all problems. Verse 7. The angel... Sorry, I'm, I'm still learning how to preach here. Um, so, talk and walk. So, because the Lord hears our cries, let us turn to Him in times of trouble. Let's fear Him and let, 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 let that fear soak, the fear of the Lord soak in, saturate, and guide us in how we speak and how we act. In, in the section 5 here, oh, actually, before I get there, the fear of the Lord is the best antidote for any temptation. Isn't it? The fear of the Lord. You know, we might be tempted to have angry words, uh, it, it, at our in our marriage or towards our children or towards our neighbor uh, I'm not applying all of these to me um, but or complaining words or just all sorts of word sins the fear of the Lord is the best antidote to word sins and it's the best antidote to action sins so whether it's you know self-control and wisdom and how we use the internet or addictions how many how many of us know people who are addicted to substances it the the fear of the lord will help us in all sins to 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 go to find the right path through any temptation through any trial we all need to hear this we all need the fear of the Lord. It is almost a surprise to us to hear that the fear of the Lord brings the happy life now and gives us wisdom in all of our lives, all aspects of our lives. The fifth section here, verses 15 to 18, remember that the Lord sees and hears you as you pass through this difficulty. So what happens to our view of God when we go through trials? Listen to what David wants us to know when we go through times of trouble. Verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Now there's a sharp contrast made between the righteous and the wicked here. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So his eyes and ears are towards his people, but his face is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Now back to the righteous, verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, there's that very important verb, cry, which is used in verse 6, 15, and 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. His eyes and ears are towards his people. Does that remind us of anything else in redemptive history? Fascinatingly, in 
Exodus 2. We're once again going back to the Exodus as kind of like a timestamp of like the biggest redemptive event in Israel's history. We do have Noah's Ark, right? But for Israel as a nation, the Exodus is the birth of the nation. And it is a reference point in the spiritual psyche of the Israelites. And us as grafted in to the people of God, it becomes our story too. We are grafted in to the people of God. And this is our story. In Exodus 2, 23 to 24, 23 to 25, listen to what it says. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out. And their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob and God saw the Israelites and God knew. So we have here the crying out, we have the hearing and the seeing of the Lord. His face is turned towards his people. His face is turned towards us as his people. So why would we not cry out to him when we're going through times of trial? Why would we forsake the one who can snap the cords of any fear and deliver us from any trouble? The Lord is near the brokenhearted, verse 18, and saves the crushed in spirit. The brokenhearted are those who are discouraged by a very troubling situation, whatever it may be. And what do the brokenhearted need the most? They need to know they're not alone. When we're dealing with brokenhearted people in your church, in my church, in our neighborhood, what do they need the most? You're not alone, friend. You're not alone. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. The, the, the crushed in spirit are people who are crushed under the pressure of an impossible situation. They fear that they will not be able to escape. The fears are mounting. But what do people who are crushed in spirit need the most? They need to know that they will be delivered, that someone will lift that burden away. This morning, are you brokenhearted? Do you need to know you're not alone? I'm sure even the children here, from ch child to adult, there are things that we even just keep to ourselves. We, we don't know how to talk about we can be brokenhearted and crushed in spirit and maybe nobody knows, but the Lord knows. Cry out to Him. Cry out to Him because He is near. You're brokenhearted, He's near you. You're crushed in spirit, He saves that type of person. He loves helping this poor man, the humble, just like these other descriptions that David has used prior to this. Maybe this morning you're in a difficult situation and you need to hear again. When David says, and it echoes on to us, listen, listen, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We need to hear that again. We need our vision of God to stay high and elevated. We need to know that he's near, that he delivers. That's what we need. In this final section, um, verses 19 to 22, remember that he is our sure refuge no matter what temporary difficulty may come our way. We, will f we find these next, this next verse strangely comforting because it's, kind of surprising. Verse 19, many are the afflictions, or we could translate that trials, of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the trials. 
one translation says it like this. Many are the trials of the righteous, but the Lord shows up every time and rescues. He always shows up. We might ask when an affliction comes, did I do something wrong? Am I being judged for a past sin or something like that? That could be the case. So you want to repent and come back to the Lord and get on track. But this verse 19 is talking about a different scenario. This is, we as the righteous need to understand that afflictions are the norm. Trials are normal and we should not be discouraged by them. But what do we do in those trials is what matters. We need to turn. We need to cry out to the Lord. David has looked back in this psalm already at Joseph, Israel, Moses, and David himself. But now he looks forward to an amazing gem in this next verse, to future salvation that had not yet taken place in David's time. Look at verse 20. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now, what does that make us think of? Obviously, it's speaking of Jesus on the cross. Now, Jesus on the cross seems like quite a contradiction to Psalm 34. If the Lord is going to show up every time, how could he let his son, the most righteous, the most humble, die on a cross? This is in John 19.36. It refers directly to our psalm. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now, what, why did that matter to John? Why, why would they have broken his bones? I think some of us know why, because when somebody's on a cross, the only way they can lift their bodies up to breathe is with their legs. So if they want to accelerate asphyxiation, is that the right word? They break the legs so that they can no longer push up to take a breath so they would die. But Jesus had already died when the soldier came to break the legs of all three of them. So he only broke the legs of two of them. But the one in the middle, his legs were not broken. Now, is this a contradiction to Psalm 34? No. Because this is not the end of the story for Christ. Yes, he suffered. The righteous suffer affliction. And the most righteous suffered affliction for us. But he was raised from the dead. God kept the promise of Psalm 34. When he raised Christ from the dead, he delivered. He always delivers. Listen, when, when in the book of Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are at the the, the door, the gates of the, the, that opening of the fiery furnace. When does the Lord show up? Does he show up before they're thrown in? No, he doesn't. He shows up as one like the Son of Man who's in the flames with them. The Lord always hears. He always shows up. And he always delivers. He will bring us through that trial, that, that trial, whatever it may be for you today. But he always clears the clouds and the fog always lifts eventually. It is about preservation through the trouble and ultimate deliverance. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Preservation through the trouble. His legs were not broken, though he died. With an ultimate deliverance. That's what the resurrection was all about. Verse 21. Here is a, a contrast, again, between the children of God, the righteous, and the wicked here, verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked. One translation said, the wicked will self-destruct. 
here. There, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. I want you to just hold on to that word condemned, because it's going to be used in, this, in, a, in the next verse, and it's used in a very different way. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. There's clearly no hope for those who do not take refuge in God. They will be ultimately condemned. They will suffer the consequence of their sin. Now, in verse 22, we're back to the righteous. So we've looked at the wicked. They will be condemned. But this last verse says this, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Exact same word. Why will we not be condemned? Why will we not be condemned if we take refuge in the Lord? Because the one whose legs were not broken took our condemnation in our place. He went through the fiery trial of the cross, absorbing all the wrath of God due to our sins so that we will be delivered through the ultimate suffering of the ultimate righteous one and we take refuge in him. What is taking refuge? It means seeking protection. That's what we see in Noah and his family in the ark. We see uh, the, the, refu- the, the people of Israel took refuge in the Lord and we take refuge in the Lord through what he has done for us in Christ because the Lord hears our cries and I would go on to say because he sympathizes with every temptation we face as our great high priest let us turn to him in times of trouble don't let the fears stay wrapped around you, paralyzing you. And no matter what trouble we go through, like this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, we will pass through trials, my friends. You have passed through trials in the past. There are trials that await. They are normal. But He always brings deliverance eventually. Now back to Lillian Trasher. At 2.30 in the morning, they had been fasting and praying. These children, these widows, 1,200 of them, fasting and praying. They didn't have any food. At 2.30 in the morning, she received a telegram from the U.S. Ambassador Alexander Kirk asking her to meet him for lunch. Upon meeting Mr. Kirk, Lillian learned that Greece had fallen to the Nazis and the Red Cross ship heading there with relief supplies, had to turn around. The captain of the ship was going to dump the cargo into the Mediterranean to avoid attack by enemy vessels. But a sailor on board who supported Lillian's orphanage had begged his captain to unload the food and clothes in Alexandria, Egypt, instead. He had finally relented, and the cargo ship, full of food, and clothes, Mr. Kirk explained, were waiting in a waterfront warehouse. The embassy even agreed to pay for the delivery costs. Now, Lillian arrives at the warehouse to discover that the crates of supplies stretched farther than she could see. The Red Cross representative begins reading to her what they contain. 2,600 dresses. 1,900 handmade sweaters, 1,900 pairs of boys' pants, 3,800 blankets, 1,100 towels, 700 kegs of powdered milk, 1,200 sacks of rice. It was more than Lillian could handle. She wept. She was amazed at how the Lord had supplied everything she needed. God heard her cry. God heard the cry of these children and these widows. So in times of difficulty, where do we turn? 
are we functional atheists that are just inundated with secularism so that we don't even pray except these cheap little prayers that don't really come from our hearts? Or do we cry out to the Lord? Do we cry out to Him in times of difficulty? That's what we should be doing. What happens to our vision of God when we face challenges in life? Do we just adapt God to something more of a, 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 a grandfather kind of figure? Our vision of God should not be diminished in times of trial. We need a big God more than ever in times of trial. We need to fear the Lord. Let us not diminish our view of God. Let's keep God big. Not that we can do that, but let's think biblically. Let's, we need a big God in times of difficulty. And what happens to our faith when difficulties come to us? Our faith should be purified and strengthened in times of trial. So that is Psalm 34. We see in the title, we're to understand that difficult times will come. Verses 1 to 3, we worship the Lord in times of difficulty. 4 to 10, we seek the Lord in times of of difficulty. Number four, know that the fear of the Lord will guide you through times of difficulty. That's verses 11 to 14. And verses 15 to 18, remember that the Lord sees and hears you as you pass through this difficulty. And verses 19 to 22, remember that the Lord is our sure refuge and promises heaven. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you at the end of this morning and we we cry out to you. We cry out to you and I, I'm sure each of us has something, some burden, some fear, some trouble that we need to cry out to you about. So Lord, we thank you that you hear we thank you that you see and we thank you that you are always good and you always deliver in your time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.